This episode was originally a live recording at the Swiss Startup Days in 2021. Thank you for the great collaboration and we hope that you enjoy the show. Stopping was not an option because I would disappoint many, many people. One of them is me. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. We have a wonderful panel interview together. I will introduce the two guests in a second, just for you uh, to be aware of. At the end, we do have some room for questions. So if you do want to ask something that we haven't discussed yet, or you would like to go into more details, feel free to also ask your questions at the end of today's session. And now it's my pleasure to introduce you to our two guests. Bettina, you are the CEO of PowerCode Switzerland, a coding academy for refugees. And next to you, we have Manar. You are a software developer at Leap and also a PowerCoders graduate student. Thank you so much for being here today to both of you. So first, we want to talk about your individual journeys. So you both have a personal background, and we want to start with you, Manar. You studied computer engineering in Aleppo in, in Syria. So I just wonder, what were your plans after your studies? What did you have planned to do afterwards? Um, a little background about me before the college and everything. Um, uh, uh, I have two siblings who were already married and abroad, and my mom was uh, divorced since I was a teenager. So I wanted to finish college and just get into get a job. I didn't want to to do a higher education. So um, I was I did like um, some freelance job. I did some uh, governmental job because. Um, at some point, uh, life in Syria is not that easy. You need to have more than one job to get a good kind of um, income, living, like a, an easy living. And on the other hand, um, my mom was kind of, I was the only one who stayed with my mom uh, because yeah, I was, my, my uh, uh, siblings were already not there and no man in the house. And so she was a little bit overprotective you know, she thought that, yeah, Manar, um, you are alone in this world, you know, you don't have a man by your side, not father or a brother. And so, so that kind of pushed me more um, to learn more, to physically be more strong. Um, I did uh, English courses, I did um, graphic design courses and I got me my own freelance graphic design job. And so, so I was really into improving myself. Like the more mom wanted to prove, hey, you cannot do this alone in this world, you're alone and, and you're single and stuff like this. And the more that pushed me to work myself hard. So that was my life. Um, learning, um, endless discussion with my mom about traditions and uh, yeah. Um, I did also sport, I did uh, karate, also because of mom, she thought I'm, I'm weak, I cannot survive in this world. So yeah, I made it to the brown belt, sadly. Well, so but. you basically said challenge accepted, uh, whatever challenge your, your family or life threw at you, challenge accepted, I can do better than this. That was my fool, really. Like, but, hey but, mom, where, where, look. 
where did that actually come from? Because other people might just give up in that situation and say, hey, maybe I'm just not that good. Maybe I just do what society or people expect from me. Where did that hunger or this motivation to do better, to develop yourself come from? Uh, from my mom herself. At my okay. age, she did the same. She chose her way and she worked on herself hard. But somehow when mothers get older, they're like, I don't know, they become overprotective and they want to, their daughters to be the version that they didn't, didn't uh, turn up to be, you know? And I believe to myself, like, I have skills, why not? Like, I would say, a person X did it, why I cannot do it? So. I think that's a really good statement uh, to make and to also have the motivation to then really invest in yourself. Let's also talk about your background, Bettina. You actually finished your business studies in 2005. So what dreams or aspirations did you have? Yeah, I would say I never had a clear career plan or similar. Um, but there was this one situation during my studies where we visited the company called Wander, who is producing Cautina, Ovomaltine and these products, which are quite famous in Switzerland. And there was this brand manager um, then and he presented his job and, and also the trainee at Wander. And I was really um, fascinated. I knew this is what I want to do, exactly this job. But I knew it's really hard to get there. So um, I applied for the trainee and luckily I got it. And exactly three years after that, I was um, in front of other students and was presenting this job and the trainee. So crazy story somehow, but that's, I think that's something I, take with me in life. So I often make the example of, I have an own Vespa, an old, old uh, Vespa, very, very nice one. <laughs> when it drives, it's nice. Um, and when you drive, when you look on the right side, you also drive on the right side. So you have to look in the direction you want to go. So if you know where you want to go somehow, I think the chances are much higher that you achieve it somehow. And in that regard, you really landed your dream job. You then spent actually a decade in marketing in, in numerous roles, also at other companies. So what did you actually take away from your career in marketing? Were there any key learnings or key takeaways that you can share with us? Yeah, I think in general, I took away a lot of branding, innovation, customer insights. So the whole area, which includes marketing and strategy, um, but my main takeaway is about leadership. So I um, had the opportunity to become the marketing manager of Ovomaltin and I led a team of eight people. Um, these people were around the same age. Some of them were even better educated than I was. Mm -hmm. And I was really young, so it's kind of a hard challenge. Um, so I suffered a lot, really. <laughs> um, but I learned, what I mainly learned, what my main takeaway is um, how I can integrate different personalities into one team who is striving for the same goal. So we had really shy people and then we had very extroverted, strong personalities. And somehow I think I achieved it to build a team. And I think this experience really helps me also to shape power coders nowadays and even to shape in my private life. I think everything is, is human. Like you have to deal with humans in all situations. And yeah, I think it's really these leadership skills which, which helps me the most. Do you think in that regard that you are just a born natural or were you actually really able to develop these skills? And if so, what actually helped you to get better at this? Because I think many people could struggle with the same challenges when they start leading a team. 
Yes, I think everyone can um, learn it. Um, I think you have to be very open-minded. Um, you have to be open for critical uh, thoughts as well and, and respect that and just want to get better. I think it's really this uh, beginner's mindset you have to have in every day you start, you have, need to have a beginner mindset and then you can grow and get better in it. Sounds like a good plan. So, Manar, you also worked uh, as a web content manager at the government agency back in Syria, but then something horrible happened, war broke out. How has that actually changed and also affected your life? Um, at that point, the, it didn't happen right away because other, in other cities of Syria, it was already there. So Aleppo was a little bit late becoming the, this conflict. Um, Basically, um, when it has become dangerous to go out to the street, there was no public transportation, so I couldn't get to work. Um, other activities like other hobbies, other, other uh, errands that has to be done, no one could go out, like they, they, they stayed at home. And because of this, they, the only thing they, they could do is just follow the news and not, not the news on the TV see the Facebook, the, the people, what they're, they're posting. And like Facebook was the window that we could see the world um, at that time. Um, so yeah, from my side, I was, I was watching Facebook, what's going on in other cities. And I had this feelings of uh, hopeless. Why, why is this happening? And I, uh, I have learned that lots of people are traveling, are going and, you know, you have the feeling that something's going on, something big, horrible is coming. You see horrible pictures in the internet. You see civilians are dying and you know that it's coming. And especially for those families who had kids, they like the fear, there was lots of fear and no one knew what to do. Some of people lost faith. Some of them just felt hopeless. So I was either, either just, just to be hopeless and, and just leave or to do something to help those, my folks, my, my people, those demonstration were just students, just university students, you know? So it was, I, I had no choice. Like I had to be, to, to help. I want to help. I know I, I cannot sit and watch, you know? So that's how my life changed. Who cares about the work anymore? Like there is people dying, there's blood in the street, you know? So sooner or later, you need to take sides. Yeah, the, the priorities obviously just completely shifted. Things that we thought are important just are not important anymore yeah. because there's something much more at yeah. stake here. At a certain point in time, you then also decided that you would leave Syria and would flee to, uh, to Turkey in your case. Was there any certain moment that led you to that decision or how uh, did, did you reach that conclusion that you said, hey, now I cannot really stay here anymore, I need to go? Yeah, um, there was a point where the infrastructure of Aleppo was going down. You know, there were neighborhoods were swept, like whipped out. Um, electricity was cut, there was no electricity, you know, water. Um, staying at home was not an option because uh, bombarding was going on and you need, you had to immigrate to another neighborhood that is less, that's, that was becoming less bombarding, you know, less, not uh, zero, because the whole city was under fire, you know? And 
I, I had my mom, I, I was fearful that something happened to her. She was diabetes, she's still diabetes. And w when she hears it, um, she gets this diabetes crisis. So I was, I was, I need to do something, you know? And at some point, because I'm not working, I had no money left and I had, um, there was no internet and I cannot get in touch with other um, work colleagues because it was dangerous. Like if I called someone who knows where this telephone is now, in which hand, you know? So there was the question, why should I stay? I thought, no, I'm not ending up a corpse in the street that no one would know about. You know, I witnessed some people died in the street. They were not buried. I was fearful not of death. I was fearful that I'm scattered to pieces and no one could pick up the pieces and put me in a grave. That was like, no one would visit me. My family would never know where I am because some people ended up like this, pieces. Or much worse, if I lost um, a hand or, or an eye, half a jaw, and I had to live with this for the rest of my life, you know? Death, quick death, was the ultimate wish that any Syrian would want. Like, quit death, that's it. But not the suffering with a disability. So I knew I, I would want to survive. I had, I believed in myself, I, I needed, no, this is not my end, I'm going out of here. It's a lost case. And why did you decide to go to Turkey in that regard? Um, Turkey was the, like, Aleppo geographically is like uh, 45 minutes away from the Turkish border. And so that it makes it the uh, fastest way. And thousands of people were going in the direction. So it was like the first, um, like safe um, island to be to decide later what to do next. Thank you for, for sharing these stories. I think it's incredibly powerful to hear your story. We, we can only sort of try to imagine what you went through. So thank you very much for, for sharing that. I'm sorry for giving some, maybe I was, I told some horrible images, but it's just emotionally, I get drifted and um, yeah, I hope you forget those images that I just um, told. But yeah, uh, it's the truth. This is what happened. I think there's no reason to uh, try to make it look better than it actually is. So I think it's crucial to, to be authentic and tell these stories. So at the same time, luckily for much better reasons, you also traveled, uh, Bettina. You actually did a four month sabbatical and spent it in Silicon Valley. And there something happened. Uh, it sort of changed your life. Can you talk a bit more about what happened there? Yeah, so we had the opportunity, so my husband and I had the opportunity to do a market entry camp um, with Swissnext in, in San Francisco. And yeah, it, it, it has been an incredible time. So we were, at the same time, we were also ambassadors for the e-bike brand Stromer. So we were riding our e-bikes through San Francisco, went to meet, from meeting to meeting, to, from event to another event. Um, we even passed the cable car up the hills, so it has been a really amazing time. But what fascinated me the most was really this, this startup vibes. Um, these people who were so open and eager to help. So 
completely different on how I experienced it in Switzerland. So really this openness and really the first question was always like, how can I help you? And mm -hmm. I was always like, what have I to answer now? <laughs> and, and I get used to it that it's really about um, how can we support each other? So I think for me, that was really um, uh, a new mindset I got, I got to know, I, I learned. And after that, I also started my first own project called Classery. It's a peer-to-peer -peer platform. It doesn't exist anymore, but it has been a great experience to really then um, adapt what I learned um, right after this trip. So you sort of saw people building stuff, people building companies, and then you suddenly had this idea that, hey, if they can do it, I can actually also do it myself. Yes, actually, that was exactly the feeling I had. It, it felt so easy. I think that's that's that for me was the main difference from from here. Here I I didn't had this this feeling of hey I can just do it and try it and if I fail it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. And there it everything felt so um, so easy and and doable. Yes. So now we talked about your individual journeys, but eventually you are now sitting here together. Your journeys also crossed and. Where you cross the path, we first have to understand the history of power coders to actually understand where and how you met under which circumstances. So power coders was actually created by you, Bettina, and, and your husband, Chris, who also founded Swisspreneur, the podcast, by the way. And I just wonder, when did he actually first run the idea by you and what were your initial thoughts? Yeah, so that has been in uh, summer 2016, and I just gave birth to our second child. And Chris approached me and said, hey, um, I'm invited to attend the Global Entrepreneur Summit in, in San Francisco again. And, and yeah, like bad timing. I mean, I, we were overwhelmed be, be, being parent of two and, and really like there was happening a lot. But I, I remember exactly the words I was saying to him. I was saying like, Chris, um, go there because you don't know with what you return. And, and so he went there, he met two female entrepreneurs, one who founded um, a coding academy for, for uh, women and one who founded a catering, um, a catering company um, for refugees. And out of these two ideas, the project to build a coding academy for refugees was born. So Chris came back with something and, and he approached me and, and I, was, I was really fascinated for several reasons. First, like I, I mean, in the news, the refugees, refugees crisis, um, you, you, it crossed it every, everywhere. You looked at newspapers, you mm -hmm. saw this refugee crisis and it really, I felt like powerless. Um, it made me really, really sad. Um, and, and then when Chris, told me this, this idea, I felt that I can turn this feeling of powerless into energy and do something about it, at least for the ones who are then in Switzerland. On the other side, what fascinated me as well is that we solve with this project actually two challenges we have in society. So one was really to integrate those people. And on the other hand, it's about the shortage we are facing in, in IT, the shortage of skilled um, yeah. IT talents. And, and so these two things really um, fascinated me to invest in, in this project. Fantastic. So Manar, how would you, from a participant's perspective, describe the offering, the, the, actually the bootcamp that you go through? How would you describe that to someone who has never heard about Power Coders before? 
Um, uh, first of all, it was my very first experience in integrating uh, in Switzerland. Um, um, it was um, for, for three months, uh, eight hours a day. Uh, first thing that I learned is that I need um, to wake up early and commu commute, <laughs> which I, uh, I struggle in the beginning because I need to go to another city. But other than that, um, there was um, lots of, a lot to take there. Um, one of the challenges, besides the technical challenges, that was like ocean, because you know, web development is just like an ocean. You dive in and you, just, you want to see the fishes. No, you want to see the coral. No, you want to build a ship. And no, you want to build a submarine, you know? So beside the technical um, side of things, there was this um, par participants who, are, uh, who came from different cultures. And one needs to learn how to go with all this like there are from uh, different lands different culture different religion so i i learned that i need to be tolerant mm -hmm. to accept other pe people um and it, it was it was fun um we learned a lot uh, there was this cultural event that uh, happened every week that some participant would present something from his culture um, sometimes ended up not so pleasant because of the politic again came. Um, in general, um, I, I so highly recommend it. Um, it is a first step into the um, informatic world. And because of this, I'm, I'm, I'm here actually. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hired, I'm a software developer. I think that's a beautiful success story. Just, you know, you came here, you got the boot camp, and then you found your employment. I think that's fantastic. Bettina, how does actually the business model behind Power Coders work? You're a nonprofit, but you still have bills to pay. So how does that work? We have, yes. Um, so when we started, we got funded by uh, SEM, the State Department for Migration of Switzerland, and on the other hand, by several foundations. But we knew that we want to attain somehow a sustainable financial model, um, which we have nowadays. It's uh, half by the canton and the other half is paid by, by the industry from, from the companies. Got it. Makes sense. Before we continue with the show, we would like to introduce you to our new partner, Nuco. Nuco helps founders navigate the paperwork that starting a company involves. From the first consultation all the way to the commercial register, Nuco has helped more than 900 entrepreneurs start their company, and they do so at highly competitive prices. To find out more, visit nuco.ch swisspreneur. Again, that's nuco.ch swisspreneur. And now, on with the show. And I also wonder, Manar, you already shared your experience with the boot camp, but before you actually were able to apply to it, you had to come to Switzerland first. So you were in Turkey, we heard before. Why did you then decide to leave Turkey and actually come to Switzerland? Um, at that time, Turkey hosted like thousands of, like, I guess there's more than 2 million Syrian people there. And the way it was, I mean, Turkey used Syrian people as like a political card, like whatever that wants. Hey, we will send Syrian people back if you don't give us what we want. You know, it was. I had the feeling that at some like oh, the next week I could be sent again to Syria. 
So it, it, wasn't, it wasn't really stable there. Secondly, um, Turkey didn't give the asylum. It gave some kind of humanitarian stay. Like you can stay, but you don't have rights, which is... Uh, hello, I need to study, I need to do something, I need to rent, I need... But you can't do this. Um, health insurance was not the base, base, bare minimum. And at that time, um, there was this waves of immigrants that go into Europe. Uh, that was the end of 2015, uh, where in TV, uh, Angela Merkel, oh, you guys, you can come, welcome and everything. And I was like, okay, that's where I'm going. I wanted to go to Germany, uh, but eventually I didn't end up in Germany. Yeah, and then end, I think one of the last days of 2015, you then actually uh, arrived in Switzerland. Exactly. And how did you first hear about the Power Coders program? Because even once you're here, you know, that's probably not the natural thing. It's a new initiative that was just being founded. And how do you actually hear about such an, uh, a program? Um, it was on, I think I saw, saw an advertisement on Google. I saw in the Parkoders page, it was on Facebook. And some other two person ha have told me about it. Uh, some Syrian co uh, colleague and then some Swiss colleague. So I heard it from more than one resource. Um, and yeah, I decided to join because, hey, why not? I did computer engineering in Syria and uh, I was anyway doing nothing because I was in this waiting phase because uh, till I get my court interview, you know, there's some kind of process. You apply for asylum and then you wait for the court interview or the, we call it an interview at uh, SEM. Um, so, and it took, it took a while this phase and I was like okay let's invest time do something useful and yeah it was for me why not that was for me so you're basically not allowed to work right but you can you're allowed to study and to invest in yourself so that was like a good fit for you absolutely because at that time I didn't have a, a status or um, a residency ID I had just paper that proves that this person applied on asylum and his case is under process. And with this, I couldn't do anything. Like I, can, I, can, I couldn't study, I, could not, I couldn't buy things. For example, I couldn't uh, sign contracts to buy my hotspot devices. I, I couldn't do anything. So I was like, yeah, this would be the right time to do something productive. And computer engineering is my, yeah, my passion. My, and I can yeah. imagine there's also a more underlying motivation to start and, and actually participate in a three-month uh, coding bootcamp. You also wanted to get independent and not be depending on the state to a certain degree. So what role did that play? Um, yeah, that was one of the, um, that was one of the reason I wanted to push myself. Um, sadly, the rules, like every canton has its rules. Like if I was in Zurich, I would have my status earlier. I would search for a job earlier. I would be employed earlier. I would have done study earlier and stuff. But power coders came in a time where I was on hold, you know? Mm -hmm. And because of this, um, uh, I don't know if you remember, Bettina, we pushed my case forward. Like we wrote to SM, like, hey, this person has finished. And could you please do the interview court? And because of this, this was one of the favor that Parkourders also gave me because I would have waited longer to get a, um, a residency or a status. So, yeah. Right. So that's certainly one challenge to navigate through the administrative jungle. Another challenge that you had to solve, Bettina, was basically to find jobs and internships for your students 
after they completed the, the program. How big of a challenge was that and how did you solve it? Yeah, that's in fact, that's the crucial part of it. And, and I think, yeah, it's one of the biggest challenges as well in, within our organization. Um, and besides the normal, like, let's call it the sales funnel we are doing with generating leads and so on, it's really about telling our story. Um, mm -hmm. So everyone who wants to convince a company to provide internship, it's, it's about telling the story why we founded Power Coders, why Power Coders exist and what, what it does and what can happen, like success stories. We present cases like Monar, what can happen afterwards. So it's really about, about telling these stories and, and hopefully find some common ground on that, uh, that the company is um, able and willing to invest in that. And which one is more difficult for you to find students or to find companies that offer internships and jobs? I would go for the second one, um, but still, I, I think it's um, also for finding the talents. It's really about finding the ones who really profit from what we are doing, because some might be might, can do it without our help and some are not successful in what we are doing. So we really have to find the right ones. We can take all the way until they have their job. And I think it's really crucial, this um, recruitment, um, but finding the companies, I mean, it's getting easier because we are better known. And I think we also have the success stories. Um, so it's getting really easier, I have to say. Yeah, I think that's a good development that plays out in the, in the long run, but it's probably hard to get started there. Yes. For you, it worked out well, Monar. You then got your uh, internship at Leap. Uh, can you talk a bit how the matching process and how you actually got introduced to the company, how that all happened? Um, there was this career day that's part of the Power, Coder, Power Coders program where uh, the participants of the Power Coders meet the companies that were willing to offer an internship. Um, I remember I, yeah, like speed dating style happened at that day. Um, and then um, you decide like which companies you want to do the interview with. I remember I visited uh, three or four companies for um, interview and then I decided on Leap. Um, why? Because um, I followed my gut feeling. I just entered the office. They have like very big office, sunny uh, open spaces. And I entered there and sun hit me and I was suddenly full of positive energy and it was like green colors and they had this uh, relaxing area, food, um, kitchen, everything. Like if I was a client, I would close the deal with leave without anyone talking to me. It's just positive energy. So yeah, everyone there was friendly and I, I thought that's a place to study work in. Great. And when it actually started working there, you know, you also faced some cultural challenges. I mean, People here talk German or Swiss German even. You have a different life in, in Switzerland, uh, different things that you need to take care of that you probably hear for the first time. So how do you manage these challenges of you know, living life in Switzerland with all the things that are new to you? Did you ever feel completely overwhelmed? Yeah, um, I was exposed to this, the, these challenges even before LEAP. Like I did an apprenticeship as well in a school in Bern. Um, so I hope there that they speak English because, you know, computer 
informatic English, but no, it turned out to be German. Uh, but no, once the teacher uh, walked into the class, he started to talk Bern, Bern accent, the Bern Deutsch. So uh, every time I went to school, every time the teacher came to the class, I would be the person, ah, sorry, can we speak the high German? Every time I, they had, I don't know, loss of memory, they don't remember or something. Uh, this was for me too much because like, oh, again, I need to remind them. And there was this project with the other um, students, my comrades, um, because we needed to learn some um, collaboration. And they talk with each other Swiss German. And I'm like, hey guys, is this disrespectful? I feel disrespectful, like I'm here, don't you see me? I'm not short. You should guys speak, so something I understand. So at the end of the day, I was like, oof, should I really go through this? Why I didn't sign up for this? So, yeah, the Swiss German was really, um, language was one of the big challenges. Um, exactly. Um, for the life in general, Switzerland is very um, advanced, like the transportation, public transportation, other than being uh, me being lost once, twice, I don't know how many times. Um, actually, before, like, Two months ago, I got lost again, and that's shame on me because after five years in Switzerland, I get lost. But I went on these trains that in the microphone it says, hey, um, now you need to go out and you need to walk to the end and you get in again oh, yeah. <laughs> because the train will separate. <laughs> but I didn't get that quite well. I checked my phone, oh yeah, this is my connection. And I stayed and I ended up in another city. But well, now I, mean, I know which connection <laughs> that. So yeah, transportation is. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the language is a big challenge, and also you know people just kept talking Swiss German. Did you ever thought about like, hey, this is too much for me. I'm I'm just gonna stop. I'm gonna isolate myself, or I'm gonna do something different. Was there ever a, a moment where you thought, I'm not gonna succeed here. I'm I'm just I I quit. Um. There was a moment like in my um, apprenticeship, um, you know, uh, the apprenticeship, you need to do two, three days at school, at school and three, uh, two days uh, at work. So I, need to, I needed to work with my colleague at work and present something and I need to do homeworks uh, at school and I need to do uh, exams there. There was lots going on, but stopping was not an option because I would disappoint many, many people. One of them is me. I would disappoint me. And it's just the bottleneck, you, you know? You need just to go, you need just to go through it. And what kept me, with what kept me moving as well is that I sit and I close my eyes and I thought of the end, um, of the end target. Like why I'm doing this, why I'm really doing, doing this. Uh, because I want to be independent, because I want to have my own flat, because I wanted to get uh, financially good, um, um, to help mom also financially. I imagined where I, I am after all these pain. And when I get back to the present moment, that would give me enough energy to go on. Also the fact that I always kept it in mind, this is all, this is all temporarily, it's not gonna stay just temporarily and it's gonna go. 
Um, and yeah, I worked on um, improving language because I figured out this is the key to all, you know, the ring that rules them all. If you get the language, you get to express yourself good. If you express yourself good, you would be in control. If you are in control, your mind is relaxed. If your mind is relaxed, it functions very well in every aspect, not only at work, school, um, outside, uh, relationship, everything. Fantastic. Let's also talk about another challenge that you actually face, Bettina. Being a nonprofit itself per se can also be a pretty big challenge. So we also want to focus on this purpose-driven organization. So first of all, from your perspective, what distinguishes purpose-driven versus non-purpose-driven organizations? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think most companies or startups are focusing on, on what they are doing uh, because it's much easier to define and explain. Um, but I think there's much more. Um, there's much more when you want to create a movement, when you want to create loyal customers, loyal employees. You have to go deeper and, and explain why do we even exist? Why do you found this? Why exactly you? Um, what does it really serve? What problems is it really solving? For whom? So really go deep in this um, why questioning. Um, I love how Simon Sinek phrases it. It's the people do not buy what you do, they buy why you're doing it. And I think that explains it very simple, um, what I mean with that. And, and another example for me, which inspires me a lot, is Patagonia. Um, so if I buy a T-shirt from Patagonia, it's not because, maybe it's because I like the color more, but it's, it's because Patagonia has... I, I don't know if it's still the current one, but they used to have the purpose statement of power codices in business to save our home planet. And that just inspires me emotionally that much that I'm really loyal to this brand. And I wouldn't switch when I have to decide between two shirts. Um, so I think there's a lot in, in, in it with this purpose definition and to be sure why, you, why this company exists. I think especially for startups, it can be helpful. Um, I mean, you have a lot of ups and downs. One day you win an award, next day you lose customers. So it's, it's really um, hard to go through this whole journey. And I think this purpose is kind of your company belief, which holds everything together and which gives you the energy to go also through the downs. And um, also in terms of focusing, so um, in a startup life, there are many opportunities. So you'd have to decide a lot. So which one is the right decision? So what we are doing at Power Code is, is ask ourselves always the question, does that serve our purpose or not? And I think that really distinguish um, opportunities on the first level where you can say with a good feeling, you can say no to opportunities. I guess in that regard, also authenticity is a key word because people, they can tell whether the sparkle in your eyes is real or not. And that probably is driven by the why that you just mentioned. In that regard, I also wonder, you know, you have your company purpose, but in what way, if at all, is that also being reflected or in integrated somehow in your personal why? Because I can imagine if you don't have them in sync, it's probably a very stressful time. Yes, I believe as well. So I would even say that the more um, your personal purpose overlaps with the company purpose, the happier you are. 
So I think it's for me. Um, I'm actually recruiting uh, for power coders um, right now. So one of the main things I want to find out is also what what is the, the personal purpose of of an individual, and if it if that really fits into our company purpose, into power coders purpose. And I think that's a very good um, way of finding out if it really will work with this um, empl potential employee. Right. In, in that regard, you know, you found your purpose and you also shared how you actually found it to a certain degree. Do you have any recommendations for companies that might not be there, but still are in business for years and still sort of lack this purpose? So they know what they're doing, but not why they're doing it. Do you have any recommendations about how to go about finding your own purpose as a company? Um, I would phrase it very simple. Um, don't stop asking why. It's really when, when you like, why did you found the company? Da, 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 da. But why did you especially found this and not that? And so really go deep in this founding story, um, go deep in this motivation and, and go deep in the target group. You are solving a problem. What is really the problem there? And I'm pretty sure if you go deep in this discussion, it will occur. It, 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 it is there. So I believe that the purpose is there. It's just to have to make it explicit and you have to find it and kind of phrase it as well. That's actually a good keyword. How do you then communicate that across the organization so everybody is aligned and knows what the purpose is? Yeah, so within Power Codes, it's within our structure. So we are self-organized um, and for that we build it, created roles um, for the work we're doing and each role has its own purpose which serves the overall purpose means like in our daily life, we are focusing in the direction of our purpose. So it's, it's, it's really within the organization. I think it, it really needs to, you have to shape your organization towards your purpose. Otherwise it's like what we call whitewashing that you do something good for outside, but it's not reflected in your internal organization. Yeah, you have to walk the talk. Yes. <laughs> Do you also see any disadvantages in that regard that, that purpose-driven or also non-profit organizations actually face? Um, yeah, like to stay true to, to that purpose, because I mean, sometimes there are opportunities which are very tempting and you really have to stay true um, to, to it. Do you have an example for one of these situations? Um, yeah, maybe, maybe it's like we had once the discussion, um, in, in our example with power coders, it has been that we could also do, um, a coding academy for butchers. That, that would be an opportunity. And we knew that we, we already knew who could finance it. We, we really knew how to do it, <laughs> but we then say no to it because we knew we want to solve the problem within IT. It's, it's a complete different situation in, 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 but in the butcher, um, uh, yeah. area. So uh, I think that's, that's a kind of an example where you can say no with, with a good feeling. Yeah. That really seems, this purpose seems to give you a good guidance about where you should say yes and where you should say no. So now we talked about your individual journeys, how your journeys met, but we don't know what the future will bring. So. Manar, what do you have planned for your future? You successfully completed your internship at, at Leap and you are now also employed there as junior developer. So what are your plans? What do you have in store next? Um, as a yeah, software developer, it's just the first step. I'm still junior. 
Um, I still have to learn a lot. So my plan is to be really, really good at what I'm doing. And, uh, and on, uh, during this journey, I'm planning to help as much as I can because I know how uh, the challenges already I went through. I want to help also other people who um, would want to take the same path that I did. On a personal level, um, I would want to move to move to a house on the lake. <laughs> That's my dream, uh, my wish. And also, I really wish to have the opportunity to um, invite my mom to, to for her to come here and yeah, uh, leave Syria forever. So that's Wonderful. And Bettina, to uh, share some numbers of power coders, you had more than 220 students. You have about 145 companies onboarded and a 90% uh, success rate from finishing the program to an internship placement. I think that's fantastic. So what, what do you do next with power coders? I mean, these numbers are so good, so overwhelming. Do you want to scale it up? Do you want to launch something new? What do you have planned? Mm -hmm. So um, in Switzerland, it's about opening doors for more. It's really about helping as much as we can um, support on this journey. Um, on the other hand, we are also expanding um, our impact on a other level. So we came across the situation that the social um, heritage influences the success in education in Switzerland strongly, especially when you are not born in Switzerland. Um, therefore, we started a pilot in Lausanne last year where we conducted a youth camp um, where kids from with a migrant or refugee background attended a week a robotic camp or built an app or created a website or similar stuff to enter really this digital world and, and show the opportunities there are. Um, so that's just as an example where we think we can have um, impact as well. But um, I like how one of our board members um, once called it during a um, general assembly we had last year. He said, like, we are in the third minute of a soccer game. So I think there's still a lot to do. Yeah. Fantastic. So exciting future ahead for both of you. Together or in separate ways, we'll see. Maybe we'll have another talk soon. And I'm really deeply impressed by how purposeful you are driven. You use that as a compass for your organization and especially also by your uh, determination and, and really the spirit to, to put through the hard times and difficult times. So thank you so much to both of you for sharing the impressive journey and all the best for the future. Thank you. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by Swisspreneur's main partner, Clara Business the digital all-in-one solution for small businesses. Managing internal processes manually and on paper wastes an incredible amount of time. That's why Clara digitizes everything, allowing you to focus on what really matters, your core business. Go to clara.ch to find out how your business administration can be simpler, faster, and more efficient. Again, that's clara.ch.